Hey. Hello, father. Daughter person. Father person. Should I be on speaker or? Um, you sound good now, so whatever you're doing now is good, and and that way you can look at the review, you can read the reviews, so we can talk about them. Do you have you have a way to do that? Hold on. Okay. Can you hear me better? Um. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. I'm gonna try and see if. I'm gonna see if my internet is. Working. Screwed up. What do you say? Yeah, the Wi-Fi is not so good. My Wi-Fi is, my Wi-Fi is on, and it's five G. So. Yeah, mine should be good. You have five G already there. Wow. They didn't even ask us. They just put it in. Wow. A lot of people don't want it because they worried about it or something. Yeah, they're worried about getting a. Getting radiation or whatever the hell it's called. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> what is it called? So this is okay. I'm gonna go inside in a little bit, and it's probably better inside. Okay. Well, it's cool. Um, I'm sitting here on the couch. The um, other reviews? Yeah, I have a. I, I, we could go over the New York Times review. Okay. Um, but before we do, do that, want... two two things. In the future, okay. maybe you want to do the recording. I don't know. So you can like stuff. Yeah, of... but then I can't upload it under your thing because last time I edited it and sent it to you, it didn't work. Well, it had just that weird glitch. That's so weird. I think it's because of like the way I edited it in the Anchor app. It didn't like, I didn't, I, I tried testing it out before I sent it to you, but it got weird. I can try again. I'll, if you want to send me the recording afterwards, I can edit it. Yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. Okay. Um, second thing before we start is, did, did you intend to send a email chain letter to Sylvie and me? Yeah, my friend, it's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be annoying. I'm sorry if it is. You can ignore it. I just, my friend sent it to me. It's and so I not it you. Cute. Okay. I thought it was cute. I know. It's oh. so not me. I thought it was cute. It's not like, it's not like one of those things that's like, you know, it keeps right. going forever. It's just one time thing. And I thought it was cute. And okay. I, I did it. So you don't have to do it. I just thought it was cute. All right. I'll look at it. And uh, I was just... literally just you literally just have to email one phrase to, to that person. And that's it. You don't have to do the thing where you where you email it to more people. You can just yeah. do it the one time and then stop. It's fine. I right. just thought it was cute because I thought of a quote that I had remembered that I that I used to love when I was a kid uh-huh. or when I was younger. And I so I sent it to her. Um, do you, do you know Michael Gondry? No, I don't. Sorry. Um, he said the quote, every great idea is on the verge of being stupid. (laughs) Remember when I was really into like, um, Kurt Vonnegut and like all those weird things. Yeah. So I just really liked that. Like, especially when I was younger and I like was trying to be creative and I liked that idea. Um, so yeah, it's, it's dumb, but I thought it was, well, that's a good quote. That's that's. I mean, the quote isn't dumb, but I uh, yeah. No, okay, I was dumb. just checking. We we no, both, it's, it's both just, of us had the same weird... reaction. Like, what? This is not Sam. I I could see this coming from Alex, but definitely not from Sam. So we I know, were, like, I know. We I was puzzled. in a weird mood. <laughs> I was in a weird mood, and I was like, people are gonna think that this is weird, and some people are gonna think that this is nice, and I'll, I'm just right. gonna go for it. I'm trying not to like overanalyze my my thoughts anymore and just do things. <laughs> Okay, the dog is now on top of me. Oh, he's so cute. We have a puppy. Shadow? No, we have a new puppy. Ow, 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 don't oh, bite. He's a puppy. Yeah, he's a puppy. 
Okay, stop it. No biting. Start. Are you going to bring him to, to Italy? Uh, I'm sure Sylvie wants to. And Oh, my God. I would be so, 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 so happy. God. So, yeah, I guess we have to. I don't know. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Please do. Please do. Please do. Yeah. I'd be so happy. He is adorable. He is a, a, just oh my God. a joy. I'll, I'll play with him the whole time. Yeah, he's so What kind of adorable. dog? I mean, he won't be a puppy anymore, though, but in April. Yeah, you're sneezing. Care. You're still sneezing. Okay, don't bite me. Don't bite me. No. He's still like the puppy biting stage. Okay. Oh, so cute. Gesundheit. Yeah, he's like crawling in my pants. Hey, hey, stop it. Don't bite. What kind of what kind of puppy? He's, he's just a mutt. We we got him at the pound. He's an adorable mutt. Okay, stop it. Stop it. Yeah, but what kind of mutt? He's kind of like a little pit bully. Ow. And maybe pug. Okay. Stark. This is great. This is Stark. great radio. Okay. Ow. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Stark? No. No. What's his name? Stark? Stark. Yeah, he wants to play. Okay, you got to play with Mama the whole time. What is this? Go his away. His name go is Stark. Stark. Mel oh, Stark. Like um, Game of Thrones. We got to come. Put my head. Perfect. Okay. Very good. He's adorable, though. We're very happy. Mel, uh, Sylvie was going crazy. You know, Jenna, after Jenna passed away, you heard about that yeah. whole horrible thing. Like she had cancer. And yeah, I called on the day. Yeah. I called on the day. Yeah. So it's like a chance. it all just happened. Like... Oh, no, you're cutting out. This is so annoying. So. Um, so, yes. So you want to do let's do this. Do you want to talk about the book first, or do you want to just read the reviews? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, the the uh, we could take it from the point of view of the review and go through it. I I really enjoyed the book a lot. Me too. And I I, I read the I read the whole thing in a week, and then I just finished listen listening to it. Yeah, listening to it is great. I think in some ways because then he gets to emphasize things the way he wants to. And yeah. he, you know, he does it like his podcasts. And uh, I, I found it very entertaining to hear him, you know. Yeah. And with his intonations and all of that. So, yeah. so yeah, I was really glad I did it that way. I mean, reading, I've read, you know, three or four of his books and I really like them. But it's a, it is a bit of a different experience when it's like him talking. Um, and, yeah. uh, and I think it's, it's a new art form, you know. It's a new way of communicating, yeah. so it's cool. I'm glad that I read it first, though, because I think that I, I was able to comprehend it better. And then, and then listening to him talk about it, and then, <clears throat> and then I, I've been talking about it with everyone. Like uh -huh. my favorite, my favorite way to understand a book is to like explain it to other people. And when I was first reading it, I was just like telling everybody about it, and I, yeah, I'm really into it. And then when he said the thing about you know children of alcoholics being like the one common denominator among people who are good at detecting liars. Right. right. Yep. <laughs> I was like, I was very interested in that. Yep. Yep. Well, I, that's, you know, it, the, 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 you know, as far as just my critique of the book, if I'm going to do my review, you know, yeah. he, 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 he did it, you know, it's, it, the book's kind of, it is kind of all over the place in my opinion. And, and it's not in a bad way necessarily. Um, you know, it doesn't, a book doesn't have to be, well, you know, I'm going to 
this is what I'm going to talk about. And now I'm talking about it. And then that was what I talked about. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. He, he tried to use Sandra Bland sort of as his framing of the thing, which I thought in the end, um, I thought uh, it did really well because he brought it all back together. Like, yeah, like I, say, yeah I thought saying this, what, what right. could have happened, like what could have happened instead of what did happen, you know, saying something like, you know, the smoke's getting in my eyes. Like, would you mind putting it out? And, and, you know, I'm not actually going to give you a ticket. Like, I'm just, you know, like all of the things that he could have done. Right. Instead of what he did. And then the context of, you know, the, the new way, the new way of policing, it was very helpful. And like, well, I like, think that was critical. And, and that's why I yeah. thought it was. But I thought that that was sort of a separate, completely separate topic, independent of talking to strangers. The fact that the police departments had. And to me, that's yeah, another it book. It's a fascinating and a really interesting another book, which is, you know, how could you take how the police departments took this criminologist uh, study that and then the the way he focused it and and did it within a certain context in Kansas City and then they just sort of applied it willy nilly you know blanket and has produced this kind of policing, which to me is not about talking to strangers. It's a, it was just about a technique of trying to minimize crime and what would be the most effective way to do that. And um, and it's it's a, actually a, an interesting book about. You know, it seems to be always the case that that you've got these uh, good intentions, especially at a government level, these really good intentions that just get so fucked up yeah. when they're implemented. And yeah. and, you know, and that's a, a, like a perfect example of it where people just took the things they wanted to hear from the study. Oh, let's do this. We can use, you know, the fact, in a haystack. Yeah. Well, we can use the fact. Car to mm-hmm. to that'll be our way now of sort of you know aggressively searching for you know bad people and mm-hmm. and uh, and and without thinking that it's a needle in the haystack without this the, the yeah. critical thing he talks about it's which like is driving is criminalized or something <laughs> exactly and it produces yeah I mean at the very end he, he he doesn't spend a lot of time on it but his you know where he's interviewing the guy who basically did the study who did the Kansas City thing saying yeah you know this is completely fucked we fucked it up yeah. we're actually yeah. creating more criminals and more problems because of what you're doing to people you know it it, it, it it's interesting because for me this just happened to tie in to another podcast that I've been listening, was listening to on the 14th Amendment. What's um, it called? Um, uh, I'll have to send it to you. It's, it was really cool. It's, it's, you'd find it very, very interesting. Um, it's very technical, but then very specific. And it gets completely into the problem of bail decisions for pre, pre um, uh, um, what is it called? Pre-trial. Which he talks uh-huh. about, right? The 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 fact that there's a that the stu- that the computer algorithms are better at figuring out who to let loose, free of bail, and who to put on bail, yep. you know, and and yep. and and that that's completely fucked up, and which is a fascinating yep. study. Again, not being, oh yeah, you know, and, and actually, I went, I kind of didn't believe it, the way Malcolm kind of just threw it out because I'm like, well, I wonder how significant these statistics really are. Yeah, like oh, it's a twenty five percent increase, but it could have been twenty five percent increase because they had like a thousand wrong, and now they 
with the computer, it had a thousand and twenty-five, you know, or thousand two hundred. Well, also, he didn't really explain. He didn't really explain like um, what, um, like what was the result of of like letting letting people go. Like he 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 like very vaguely was like it. You know, what is the likelihood that they will like commit another crime after they've been let go but he didn't really explain exactly what that means right you know like right. like at what like at what level are they being evaluated for um for like you know red flags and then what does it constitutes like um like an actual red flag that that was like significant versus like not you know like what kinds of like were they just like you know were they just like skipping bail or were they actually committing another crime like do they actually follow up on these people? Because that was kind of like unclear to me. Yeah, if you so, I I, I felt the same way. I thought he he couldn't he kind of like threw, it's like we're just supposed to believe you, right? We, right exactly. <laughs> he threw it at us and sort of said, "Trust me, this is like a, a you know really better. a significant thing. It's a it's a significant <laughs> yeah. thing." And I didn't, so I went, "Okay, well, let me check that out." So I actually went to the um the the paper, and the paper is very readable. Uh, I, mm-hmm. If you want, I'll send you the link to it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's like, I mean, they go on with a lot of data, but it's very, very readable and it's very powerful. It's it's way oh, wow. more powerful in reality than what he said. Um, so, and it's, have they ever tested it out anywhere, like for real, like actually? This is all it? for real. They 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 go at great lengths to show you how obviously. You mean have they tested out that actually can start have they, using have they imp- a computer? Have they implemented it right. somewhere? Yeah. Uh oh. Papers from 2018. Um, so, um, the I mean, there's earlier studies, but this is sort of this definitive one that they've done across a lot mm-hmm. of different police departments over different segments of time. Very mm-hmm. powerfully done. And, and yes, it would be, it, this is an incredibly compelling piece of information that at the very least, I mean, certainly, certainly it would be a problem if, if it was simply a computer that you got in front of and the computer went right. bail at this, no bail, uh, you know, yeah. you're free, whatever. Uh, obviously that violates the constitution. Uh, but well, can they can they like use the information of the computer of course, with right uh, with a human? Right. Yeah. So basically, the judge should just read <laughs> the read the computer yeah. and just do what the computer says, unless he just thinks it's way crazy. But it, well, yeah, like in the in the in the context of like um, this person has th- their only red flag is something that I can rule out because it's not because the computer missed something or something or some like that. piece of extra data that I have that's actually yeah. meaningful, not noise. Right. I mean, not just like glassy eyes. Or well, something. It's, yeah, it's it's I mean, the, the 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 authors of the paper, extremely smart, extremely well written. And, you know, yeah. they talk a lot. Gladwell actually picked up a, one of the quotes, which was this was not signal. It was noise. In other words, uh-huh. that a lot of the things a judge you're getting when they're like in front of someone is is actually false data because the guy could be lying or the guy could be, you know, and, or nervous or nervous. Yeah. Exactly. You don't know what they're thinking. And so right. you're trying to guess from their behavior, which is a bad idea. Um, right. And um, so, you know. The the uh, so you should read the study. It's quite interesting. And and, okay, and, well. it, and it that study. Okay, so and that ties in really interestingly to this other podcast, which was 
all about how the impacts, the impacts of improperly setting these bails is, uh-huh. is enormous. You know, you've got yeah. people whose lives, even though they're not guilty of a crime, they have they are they are just accused for whatever reason. Yeah. Like the, it could have been like the Sandra Bland where the cops just a fucking moron dick. Yeah. In spite of, <laughs> in spite of what Malcolm wants to say that the guy, you know, didn't read a stranger. Right. I don't believe that. I don't think anybody believes it. I think the guy was a fuckhead. And um, he was a fuckhead mixed with the fact that he, you know, has has an mo of of you know reading people in this very like you know strategic way that has no real like has no i don't know it's just like it's kind of bullshit he just you know well, that, he thought she was he thought she was dangerous like yeah, really. you know uh, okay. he's looking for fast food wrappers yeah i mean <laughs> well look the, the 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 logical assumption was i don't know if you actually read I, the, the other thing about the way that malcolm presented sandra bland case was mm-hmm. he kind of left it at the very beginning he says and three days later she's dead right she killed herself mm-hmm. and then he leaves the whole book and then he comes back to kind of why well i just could i was going crazy this is i said okay obviously you wouldn't even be talking about this case if she didn't kill herself right somebody right. who gets falsely accused and thrown into jail um you know it happens all the time why are you, you know, why do we know about this? Oh, she killed herself in jail. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, why did she kill herself in jail? So you go in. So I went and I had to just research it. And Well, she, he, he talked about it. She, at the very end. She had a, yeah, she had a lot of problems with cops. She had lost a child recently. Like, you know. And she had a history. There's a lot of reasons. She had a history of trying to commit suicide. She had parallel razor yeah. marks on her wrists. And um, yep. so, okay. And. From what I read in the other reports, she she had a friend or a boyfriend or something in in Texas who didn't bail her out. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So from from what I heard, you know, from I read these other like uh, newspaper reports and things, she was mm-hmm. distraught. Because this guy fucked her and, and wasn't bailing her out and wasn't bailing her out. Why was she sitting in the jail? You know, now. And, and that also ties back to what he didn't talk about, which is why would why did she have bail? You know, why was bail set? You know, they could have easily just said, OK, she's not dangerous. Let her out on her own recognizance, um, which is like 85 yeah. percent. Now, not in Texas, yeah. in New York, it is yeah. but not in Texas. So it ties interestingly back to this whole question about setting bail and what's the appropriate yeah. thing to do. And, you know did a judge decide she was dangerous in some way? And that's why you had to set bail yeah. for her because otherwise she wouldn't. Maybe that just wasn't his point. So he just left it out. Or yeah. Something. But it, it comes full circle to that other bail question. Yeah, totally. So it, totally. It, it feeds back. And in. the suicide thing also comes full circle kind of. Well, be, well, she wouldn't commit suicide I, if she, she hadn't been incarcerated. Right. I mean, so, the, yeah. so the whole, and all the other contextual things. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, so anyway, so the, it's, it's, it's really interesting to me. Uh, probably the most interesting thing to me ends up being sort of these, these, this, you know, this whole way in which the system works and the Mm -hmm. way it's dysfunctional and, um, and, and why you can have these studies either being completely ignored 
or being misinterpreted and being misused. Yeah. So, you know, I found that. So anyway, so what I thought was a stretch was in order to close the loop on on his book and and specifically Mm -hmm. in the Sandra Bland case, he had Mm -hmm. to do this whole thing about the policing and the aggressive policing. And that to me was not the same topic. It's not talking to strangers and that we don't get strangers. It's, it was strictly uh, a study that was done by a, uh, a criminologist on to, to stop crime and like understand the context b- behind like how, how, how crime is very localized. If you take guns away, it was very, it was even more specific was that if we find guns and take guns out of the hands of criminals, then we will reduce crime. Now, how are we going to take guns out of the hands of criminals? Oh, we're going to we're going to look in areas that are high crime areas, and then we're going to find a pretext to search for guns. And it was like, boom, boom, boom. Nothing to do with talking to strangers. Totally about a whole different topic. Very interesting topic, you know, and very, you know, uh, and then. Very interesting the way that the, it, that idea then got used by police departments all over the place to totally, you know, fuck with the way that the. You don't even think it has slightly a little bit to do with talking to strangers. No. It's like you're having to you're having to interpret people's actions and moods and all that stuff. But they're not like they're not. I mean, he he was he was he was he was he was she seemed upset and she seemed irritable and you know she seemed like you know why is she coming from chicago and like you know a little bit i mean maybe i'm just like maybe i'm just wanting it to be connected because i just you know i'm because that's what i want to do but it (laughs) feels i mean (laughs) well i mean if you if you just go back to it from the statistical basis that now in north carolina they're issuing 400,000 tickets versus 200,000 tickets and that they're, you know, arresting people on very small things. um, Sorry. But that coupled with, you know, like how you're interpreting people when you do pull them over. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I just think it relates a little. Well, if, okay. If, if, and this is the big if, if the directive, (laughs) to the police was you pull over everybody and then you um, are very, very, very discriminatory to try to find the bad guys. Okay. Then um, uh, you could say that, okay, what's the techniques they're using to find the bad guys and are they relying on, you know, uh, um, transparency and, you know, uh, uh, Truth well, they don't, I mean, clearly, no, that's the whole yeah, idea. No. You don't, you assume no, the opposite, right? You assume yeah. the opposite. So, and that's an interesting thing. The fact that you look, the CIA counterintelligence guy whose job it is, is the only job. That's the only job he's got is to find <laughs> spies inside the spies, right? That's his yeah, only he job. should be as paranoid as the, as the murder. Right. Why guy. is he, why is he defaulting to truth? Okay, because inside the agency, they don't want him pissing off really good agents, people who are, in fact, good agents. Okay, if the police didn't want to piss off the public, 
then they would be forced to default to truth as well. But guess what? Yeah, but under this new thing, that. they don't give a fuck. Yeah, they don't give a fuck. Our job yeah, is not. Exactly our job is to just give fucking tickets and annoy the shit out yeah. of people and and yeah. harass them, everybody. But of course, they're going to harass more uh, uh, black people or whatever, you know, black because people. that's yeah. going to happen. They're going to just do that. But um, the the fact is, they're just. That's a policy that is uh, uh, not trying to find is this, you know, what the truth is. It's trying to find guns and bad behavior and just do it like like he says, a needle in the haystack, with just sort of a shotgun. I mean, he 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 rep- he he gave a list of the guy's tickets that he issued. Right. Yeah. Which were insane. And yeah. and, um, you know, if the guy was just using this to do stops and look for things and then he would say okay you can go i don't have to give a ticket right well he was about to apparently apparently not apparently not that's what he said but apparently not that i didn't get anywhere i mean if he wanted to well, he would have he said he wasn't going to give her a ticket Who, when did he say and that he, at the end he was like he was like i wasn't actually going to give her a ticket he said and so that that's in, that. in his interview right when they interviewed yeah him. and then yeah and then malcolm was like was like if he had told her that he wasn't planning on getting her ticket, it might have been a different different situation. But she thought she was getting a ticket, so she was frustrated. Uh, okay, but that to me doesn't add up. But he might. But maybe, yeah, maybe he was lying. I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't add up. I mean, th- that Malcolm thought of all the things that the guy said in his interview after, and he thought that that was a truthful thing. There was a, after Malcolm had read one of his typical weeks, right? The week before where he gave tickets, the most, you know, incredibly ban- banal tickets. But a lot of, but a lot of, a lot of the ones that he pulled over, he didn't give tickets to either. He read a bunch of them and some of them he wasn't, he didn't give tickets to. He just pulled people over. Okay. That I wasn't sure. I, I got the impression he was, he was giving tickets for like, you know. I'm not saying whether or not he actually was going to or he wasn't going to. Right. I just mean that like, in the event that he wasn't actually going to give her a ticket, having said that would have been helpful. And I think that like, there are some correlations to the fact that like, you know, she's a different type of person than him. And that, that factored into a lot of what he did. And I'm not saying that it has a a whole lot to do with the rest of the book, but I think there's something there. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, you, and I like, I like to believe that, you know, if a police officer was reading this book, Maybe he could take or she could take a second to, you know, understand the context of the situation a little bit better before, like, you know, taking really like egregious actions on somebody. Well, it it seemed like I mean, obviously, this guy lost his job and, you know, it was a wrongful uh, that they settled for like one and a half million dollars for the family, her family. Um, So, I mean, clearly the guy's life is fucked up and his situation is fucked and you know, there's not a lot of sympathy for him. Um, yeah, but a cops do this kind of thing all the time and they get away with it. So, yeah, well, but the, the question that that the book sort of doesn't really address is, are the cops doing this thing all the time because they don't know how to talk to strangers? Or is it because they are just not what they are wired either through who they are that were hired or through Their training, through the training and through what the guidelines are, which now is this aggressive pull everybody over and, you know, without any. I think a large, I think a large majority is the latter. And I think that 
a little majority has to be the former just because that's how we're wired as people. What do you mean? Like, I, I, well, I don't think that the whole book was bullshit. I think that we are bad at talking. No, 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 right. But no, I'm not saying the book was bullshit. I thought it was fascinating. I'm just saying he used this, the, the Sandra Bland as his like focal point, which to me may have been a mistake in, in that, you know, I think there were a lot of other very interesting stories and a right. lot of other interesting situations and, and, and that that and this one sort of tied everything together. This one. Better. Yeah, this one, in my opinion, focuses it, it, if you go to dig into it, what is the dynamic to me, this dynamic of this aggressive policing, which is, yeah. you know, is, is, is irregardless of context, etc., is as much a factor, if not the majority of the factor. So totally. I think it's I think it's mostly just storytelling. Yeah, well he loves that, and of it's, course. It's, and it's, and cool. it's timely. Right. And it's fun yeah. and it's interesting and it's powerful. And I mean it's yeah. great. It's it's a great read. I you know that's that's I don't have any there's problem a lot with of, it at there's all. There's a lot of interesting podcasts actually talking a lot about this right now too. Like um I mean obviously Freakonomics talks a lot about this and have you ever listened to Embedded? Hello? Uh-oh. Hello? I don't know what's going on. Did you move? Can you hear me? Now I hear you. No, I haven't moved a muscle. Yeah, stupid. Um, yeah. Have you, have you listened to Embedded? No. No. There's a whole season in Embedded about, about cops um, and about this whole, you know, Oh, the one. Is it embedded? How they're trained? Is it the one that's um, the cop show? Um, It's not a cop show. It's a yeah. I told you about that three-part series, and the first one was um, Richard Simmons, and then the second one was whatever. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. No, embedded is an NPR podcast. Oh, okay. And there's a there's there's just one season that they do that's all about policing. Okay. And it's all about, it's actually all about specifically about cop cameras. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting because it ties into that other podcast I recommended to you, which was. Yeah, 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 the yeah, one yeah. After, the one that they do, the one they do after the Richard Simmons one. The yeah. second, well, it's the third one. He does the second one. I forgot what it was. I got I to listen to and it. The, you should, I should send you embedded yeah. too. It's really good. Okay. So, so, um, so yeah, I mean, it's all good stuff. It's, it's really interesting. I, I wonder you know, after reading some of the reviews, I was thinking, shit, maybe Malcolm, if you had focused on some of these other things and not sort of gone all over, you might have made more impact. Um, but I, what are the reviews saying? OK, so let me read you the um, the New York Times review. So, okay. OK, I'll just read it um, and we can just jump if jump in if you think something is crazy or I'll jump in. Perhaps one shouldn't always feel bad about getting someone utterly wrong. Sometimes one is bested by a master. In November 2004, I went to interview Bernie Madoff for The Economist and was won over. I told friends I trusted this quiet, thoughtful man more than I trusted any of the dozen Wall Street loudmouths I'd talked to that year. It emerged in 2008 that he had been one of the biggest con men in history. Matt Madoff is one of the central figures in Talking to Strangers, What We Should Know About the People We Don't Know, by Malcolm Gladwell, a journalist who turned social science reportage into bestsellers. Already, you know, okay. (laughs) So how dare he write bestsellers, right? Um, The book. Also, I don't think that Bernie Madoff is one of the main characters, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, he's he's a figure, but yeah, he's just a side. I figure. also think I think that part is boring. Um, well, I think the part is very powerful. I, in that he talks about the guy who who who. Uh, oh the yeah, the paranoid guy, the whistleblower, the the and, and, the holy fool, right? The holy fool and the holy fool. Like we need we need a few holy fools, but not everyone can be a holy. Well, fool. yeah, I mean, he could, again, he could have gone on and on and on about the social implications of default to truth and the problem with being the you know if because the guy's not necessarily a holy fool. Well, that, that point. That point stuck out to me a lot. Even if he didn't go on and on about right. it, I I thought that that point stuck out to me. There's no social, there's no huge social advantage to you know being skeptical of everybody. Right. I mean that's just and I, I find that very interesting, and I that stuck with me right. a lot. I mean it's very funny because Sylvie followed the book with me, and she's like going, "Well, fuck, I don't trust anybody," and I and I, and I laughed and I went, <laughs> "Right, you're like the other guy." So it, but it's a problem for you, isn't it? You know, and she goes, no, 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 it's never a problem. You know, I know. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you, you, um, you need, uh, uh, you need to be able to like have, cause the fact is she trusts, she, you. She trusts all her staff. Um, she tr- and she trusts her family and she trusts you. Right, right. She goes, she trusts a lot and, but she trusts and then thinks of herself as a fool for trusting. So she, she, it's like she's a sucker, you know. That Why do you of, think that is? Because of her background? Well, you know, the guy, she were, guess what? Her father came as an immigrant, treated like total shit to America. Yeah. I mean, not to America, to France. And then owned yeah. retail stores where he watched people ripping them off and, you know, stealing yeah. from them. Exactly the same guy's story. First generation immigrant watching persecution and watching people trying to steal from you and rip you off. So yeah. the message is everybody's trying to rip you off. Um, yeah. Now Jacques didn't feel that way, um, but she did because she was w- yeah. witnessing it as the first generation immigrant. So, um, you know, it's a little bit like growing up with an alcoholic in the sense that you, you're learning some lessons. Right. I was uh, thinking about it right, that way. I was like, right. I've, I mean, Sylvie's obviously had a harder harder go at it than I think I have, but still similar, like, uh, well, I don't know if she had, I mean, she was very well protected by her family. She just saw all this stuff very vividly and, you know, it made an impression. Yeah, I think that's just like why I I sometimes feel like a nice connection with her when when she, Mm -hmm. she acts that way. I, I, I feel similar about things. Yeah. So, um, I mean, she always yells at me for like, you know, how could you trust them? And, you know, this, this and that. So anyway, so so I thought that 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 um, um, anyway, let me read on the review. So the, okay. the book's introduction and final chapter about Sandra Bland, an African-American woman who stopped by a white from. OK, we know the story. Her death, Gladwell writes, quote, is what happens when a society does not know how to talk to strangers, close quote. Among the other recent cases of true crime and true innocence, Gladwell addresses are those of Jerry Sandusky. Uh, a college football coach and abuser of children whose offenses like those of Madoff long escaped exposure and Amanda Knox, an American student who spent nearly four years in Italian custody after a murder in Perugia because persecutors mistook youthful American goofiness for guilt. We also read of Cuban double agents, exaggerated confessions under torture, Montezuma's contract with the conquistador Herman Cortez misunderstandings between drunken students about sexual consent and misguided British hopes in 1938 that Hitler could be appeased. And we are treated to lashings of nerdish criminal criminological data. 
the threads that connect. Jesus. Yeah, no, really. So, yeah, <laughs> if it's nerdish criminological data, you know, we don't want that. Um, the threads that connect Gladwell's somewhat rambling material have to do with misreading people, mistaking their intentions, drawing erroneous conclusions from their demeanors, and believing their false claims of innocence. Yet, despite its title, the book is not really about strangers. True Bland, and the, <laughs> True, Bland and the Patrolman did not know each other, and some of Gladwell's stories involved collisions between alien cultures. But the deceptions of Madoff, Sandusky, and others discussed here, including Anna Montes, an analyst at the U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency who spied for Cuba, were practiced not only on strangers, but also on people they knew. Lies, misunderstandings, and escalating confrontations have, after all, been known to occur even within marriages. Madoff and Knox had something in common with Hitler, according to Gladwell, in that they were all what he calls mismatched, either a liar acting like an honest person, Madoff, Adolf, or an honest one acting like a liar, Knox. Drawing on the work of Tim Levine, a professor of communication studies at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, Gladwell argues that it is when we come into contact with mismatched people that our usual ability to spot truthfulness fails. It is doubtful whether this notion adds much to our understanding of the cases he discusses. In his treatment of Hitler, it subtracts from it. Gladwell contends that the reason Neville Chamberlain, Britain's newish prime minister, apparently believed Hitler's pre-war claim to have no territorial ambitions beyond a German-speaking part of Czechoslovakia is that Chamberlain was fooled by Hitler's manner and body language. Gladwell notes that Chamberlain wrote to his sister about the dictator's, quote, double handshake that he reserves for specially friendly demonstrations, close quote, and reported to her that, quote, I got the impression that he was a man who could be relied upon when he had given his word, close quote. Since some other appeasing British politicians who'd met Hitler agreed that he was no warmonger, while others who hadn't, including Winston Churchill, insisted that he was, Gladwell jumps to the conclusion that in general, quote, the people who were right about Hitler were those who knew the least about him personally, close quote, and the people who were wrong about Hitler were the ones who had talked with him for hours, close quote. Hitler's mismatched demeanor skewed their judgment of evil. This is a narrow and unconvincing take on the matter. Chamberlain and his political allies were desperate to avoid another war. They did not want to believe that Hitler was a danger, and they tended to keep any doubts about him to themselves while they worked towards maintaining peace. Plenty of people were in favor of appeasing Hitler, even, even though they had never met him, and plenty of people who did meet him were not fooled. In addition to mystery, I agree people, with that. You do? Yeah. I, I thought the Hitler thing was... A, was unnecessary and a mistake. I think much better, and this guy in the review doesn't talk about it, is exactly the study of the bail uh, allocations. I mean, that is so... Well, he, he, he talks about the bail uh, allocations uh, with the computer at the same time as he's talking about the Hitler thing. Um, but the Hitler thing just feels like story and not, right. you know... Right, Yeah. Yeah. And, and probably bad story because everybody... You know, there's so much context there. There's so much undercurrent. There's so much, you know, even if you weren't fooled, what the fuck were you going to do if you were in him in that position, right? Well, also the Hitler thing probably sold more books because I feel like anytime I heard about, like, people, anytime I heard about people, like, um, uh, you know, talking about the book and promoting the book, they, they mentioned the Hitler thing. And I was like, the Hitler thing is small to me and didn't really, I didn't really connect with it that, that right. well as I did with the other stuff. Right. Um, but it's, but it's, it's, but people like that stuff, so it you know sells books. 
yeah, it's better. It's better a drama. It's more dramatic than, you know, a study, a dry study that a computer algorithm is better. But I find that way more fascinating. Yeah, so. I know. I mean, it's fa- it's yeah. unbelievable. I mean, and the, and the fact to me that um, I mean, I'm sure he knows that. And like his editor probably, you know, is like, leave the Hitler thing in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we could ask him. We could call him and ask him. OK, um, cool. Yeah. Why do you leave it in? Um, yeah. I mean, to me, you know, th- this. There's, there's this whole uh, fascinating side issue, which ties into this, about where are computer machine learning algorithms really, really useful and where yeah. are they not? And, you know, there's this yeah. whole hysteria right now about it, which is, com- yeah. you know, completely stupid and useless. And there's so much interesting possibilities with machine learning and that relate exactly to something like that. You know, where you what people study. are freaking out about it is because a lot of the algorithms are being written by white males. <laughs> well, and like, we're, you know, yeah, but, a lot of the things are like not, you but, know, they're not they're, they're not trying to think of it in a I mean, I know that they are. But but I think there's a lot of like there's a lot of things that could go wrong, as with anything. But yeah, it has nothing to do with the machine learning. It has everything to do with the biases of how you write the programs. Right. And right. Very right. right. No, easy. Not machine- Machine learning. I mean, I mean, yeah. How you're, how people are actually coding algorithms, non like aside from machine learning. Well, that's exactly the point, though. If if you if you use pure machine learning, and you set the parameters in a way that you think, of, obviously, the parameters have to be not skewed. Right. Like so if you're giving they're... examples, if you're giving examples of what something is, and all the examples are very biased, then you're going to have a bunch of bias. Uh, learnings. Yeah, but but presumably it gets applied in the real world with real data with everybody, and therefore it starts learning the truth. Um, yeah. But but I know. But I mean, the point is, what it learns, what it uses as a measure of, oh, I got that right or I got that wrong. Those are set by the programmers, and those right. can be very very skewed, right? So it could be, for example, that and and this you should read this paper by the way again because they talk about well, it could be that. Um, for example, in, in New York, the the entire basis that supposedly was being used by judges is not whether they would commit few, uh, other crimes, though obviously in the judge's psyche, that was very much part of it, but whether or not they'd skip bail. And yes, that's, that, that was the thing that was so weird to me. It was like, why does it matter so much if they skip bail? Isn't, doesn't it matter more if they're going to commit further crimes? Well, it doesn't like, matter if they the skip bail because the- you arrested somebody and you want him to go to trial and you can't if he skips bail you have to go find him again so you have to basically rearrest him so that's very right, expensive I, I under- and very yeah. da- and, and potentially dangerous but you're absolutely right so it, it, it seems stupid that that would be the only thing you would look for you would want to look for a combination of skipping bail and or committing crime and, yeah. and these guys in the study do exactly that they, they basically say, okay, let's, we ran it with the machine just worrying about skipping bail, and we ran it with the machine worrying about committing crime and not skipping bail, and we ran it with the machine worrying about the two. And in every case, okay. it beat the shit out of the judge. Okay? Yeah. So, um, so anyway, the point is, is you, can, you, can, you can set it up to say, you know, obviously and skew it in a, in a racist or a sexist way. And, and give the criteria to the machine that way. But that's going to happen with, whether it's machine learning or not. That's happening now, right? I mean, that's how yeah. systems yep. are and that's how, yep. you know. So the, the, the point is, is that theoretically anyway, 
you can you very easily can have machine language machine learning that's not skewed and that is that that everybody knows what the criteria is that it's looking for and then it goes and just does its thing you know and yeah. to me it, that's a it's amazingly powerful example uh and the application to me also i think it's going to be with doctors and diagnoses because yep. so much of doctors are you know so much problems are misdiagnosis um yep. and you know, people, they say, oh, the doctors say, well, you know, the worst thing you can do is go on the Internet and get information. Well, why are people going on the Internet? Because they, they, they see that there's all this information that the doctors are not including or they're yeah. not talking about. Yeah. And, you know, there's just all these data points and all this stuff to consider. Yeah. And doctors with their biases, whatever that particular doctor's biases, is just saying, oh, I'm just going to look at this. Or, you know, I don't, I don't look at holistic medicine and I don't do that. And I, you know, and it's fucking ridiculous yeah. so um yeah i think it's i think it's fascinating and uh, to me would be a really malcolm-esque kind of thing to investigate but but he and, it, and he certainly did i think he brought it home um aside from the hitler thing you know this whole <laughs> the whole th- the whole idea which we know it's ironic because on the one hand everybody you know there, there's other reviews that say well this is trip you know the idea that people lie and that you know someone could be acting and not telling me the truth oh malcolm that's so heavy you know we didn't realize it you know and they're being <laughs> sarcastic right um, but but clearly you've got judges making decisions about letting guys go based on yeah, their the numbers, faces the numbers don't lie so like you right. know so what's going might, on there? Yeah, you, know, you might think that people are lying, but you're not applying it to your decision making. Well, in, in, in very serious, important things, you know, and, yeah. and then on the flip side, you've got, you know, uh, you're telling cops to, you know, assume the worst about everybody and 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 try to make a judgment again, like you said, you know, in, in, a, in a super suspicious thing. I'm looking for any sign that they're, you know, they're nervous or they're, you know, they're, they're not. They have be- a lot of keys or they right. have no keys or right. they yeah. have air freshener or they have luggage. Or Insane. They have, right. Insane. Or they have fast food wrappers. Right. Exactly. So, oh, by the way, on the Sandra Bland thing, one of the things that I read, and you, and you might check it to see whether it's factual, was that supposedly the coroner said she had an enormous amount of THC. T- is it THC, the marijuana? Yeah, THC. Stuff? THC in her bloodstream. And they were saying that the only way they think they can account for that is she was taking pot while she was in jail. Or she consumed a massive amount at, uh, upon uh, being arrested. So I had thought, oh, maybe the cop thought when she was scrambling around, she was like grabbing pot and shoving it in her mouth. Um, how can you shove pot? Hi. How can you shove pot in your mouth? Well, I don't know. You pot marijuana? You swallow. Uh, I can yeah. upstairs. I can get you in here if you want. Oh, I need a signature. Oh, I can sign. Sorry, hold on one second, Dad. Okay. Oh, uh, there's a package. I think, I think he lives on the third floor. I live on the second floor, yeah. I like your eyelashes. Thank you. They're really nice. <laughs> here you go, babe. All right, here. What's your last name? Manus. 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 M A N U S. 
thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thanks. Hey, Dad, sorry. Someone's getting a package. Um, no, I think I think the way he constructed the book seemed to invite... Wait, so you were saying she was eating pot? Well, we don't know. You should you should read that stuff about her... T- just yeah. do a Google a Sandra Bland THC coroner. Okay. And but the thing is, even if he did think she was grabbing pot, what does that matter? Well, that's that's a crime, and you know. No, I know, but like he didn't say, like I he didn't say I smell weed. Like no, he didn't find anything. He didn't. He, I mean, obviously, he didn't find anything, and she wasn't arrested for that. I mean, she was ended up being arrested for punching him. <laughs> um, well, for 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 resisting arrest. Well, yeah, but apparently she took a swing at him or whatever. I mean, there was. No, I don't think she took a swing at him. She was yeah. just. She was just being fussy well i don't know they that's the implied if you if you listen to it again i think the guy okay. was saying he was hitting she hit him um, okay and um uh but um the the uh uh anyway i don't know i thought um it's funny i guess the the less sexy things and maybe you're the same way as me to me the less sexy things that he brings to the book are the most interesting things and the more sort of sexy ones to me are sort of, you know, stretches. Yeah, that's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, 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 because in the end, like the reviewers focus on all that shit. Like the reviewers yeah. spent a whole paragraph here attacking that, that, yeah, it was really interesting to understand that um, the availability of gas of the, you know, that, um, the British gas. Well, I found that very interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it directly relates to suicide, and that people don't commit suicide if even if they don't have that as a thing. You know, they, suicide. I love that. Down. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly interesting. And then, but he then talks about it that it's related to to um, um, Sylvia Plath and understanding Sylvia Plath. And to me, that was like, what? What is that? Yeah, you, you don't know? need a, You don't have you to understand to... Sylvia Plath, right? It's just... So, so she this- had talked about how she wanted to, you know, that, you know, whenever I think about suicide, I always think about the way you're going to commit suicide has a huge, has a huge deal to do right. with, uh, with whether or not you're going to do it. I mean, right. when I, when I was suicidal, when not like seriously suicidal, cause I never mm-hmm. actually, you know, tried anything, but like anytime that I was thinking about suicide, you think very, you think very seriously about how you're actually going to do it. I mean, if someone gave me a gun and I was suicidal, I wouldn't be able to pull the trigger. I would be way too scared. Right. Like, like, you know, it, it has a lot, it has so much to do. And I think that's very, I think it's fascinating that people don't, don't even think about that. Like, that means that you have never really been suicidal. If you have no, if you've never even thought about the fact that like the way you do it is an enormous factor. Right. Well, his whole thing that he spent a lot of time about the Golden Gate Bridge and Coupling, that the, yeah. the refusal to do anything to try that to. not. It's unbelievable, right? And that the whole grid, even they're even just after... gonna they're just gonna jump off a building and smash someone else. Right, right. It's unbelievable. That's yeah. fascinating. That to me is like so fascinating. Like going into that, why do we have these crazy misconceptions? Why do why do we hold on to this stuff when the data is there? When the data is there, the data is there. We no, still yeah. ignore I, it. That's that's the most fascinating to me is when the data is there and and human and human behavior just does not adapt to it at all. I mean that's. That's what I feel like the crux of almost everything that Malcolm and like his, you know, his friends do like Michael Lewis too. Like there's just so much data on human behavior and we don't, we don't think about it at all when we're actually like implementing laws and and taking action on things. It's incredible. Yeah. So that's, that to me is like, okay, if you want to really get at this, get at 
the way in which these policy decisions, these laws uh, are so non factual based. And yeah, similarly with like the sexual assault thing, like when he was saying about the alcohol, I was like, I was like, yes, you know, we need to have guys, you know, respect women. But like at the end of the day, the numbers are there that like alcohol is the thing that is that is the problem. Like like obviously, you know, there are people who can get wasted and not, you know, sexually assault people. But like alcohol plays a huge factor. And like the fact that you're just ignoring the alcohol problem is ridiculous. Well, the, the I, I thought he, he really missed something there as well, because he didn't talk about the fact that Stanford and all these schools allow this kind of behavior. Well, and, yeah, and, that's, and that's also, yeah. Because, you know, you talk, he talks about it as, well, you know, that, 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 that you're, you've got strangers being put together and have alcohol and that's leading to all this potential as if they're just any strangers. No, it's very specific. You know, you talk about place, which he ignored in the college thing, which is that's about very tied to place. Because because the kids and the girls and the guys who are at a university, what do they feel? They feel safe. They feel yeah. protected. They feel like, oh, I can go party. I'm going to be safe. It's like I'm in a safe community because yeah. uncle, you know, this is like I'm not home anymore. So I'm allowed to do this stuff, but I'm not out in the real world where I wouldn't do this stuff. I'm in like this club, you know, and Stanford is going to provide a safe place for me. And guess what? They don't. Yeah. So, it's a, so they are creating a false sense of security. I think a lot of this, a lot of this, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, sexual abuse, rapes, etc., in campuses is very much because it's campuses. Oh, totally. One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like it's it's a perfect storm of you're young, you're away from home. You 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 haven't like experienced sex or alcohol to this degree. And right. you are you are made to believe that. This place is just is is a, is a home alternative, and you know your and everybody's safe. a good guy, right? I mean, these guys these guys are well, they're college students at Stanford. They got so it they at must, Stanford. They must right. be stand up guys, yeah. So they must all be good guys, right? And that's the whole image that's put out there, right? This guy couldn't be a predator. He couldn't be a you know a dysfunctional sick fuck, um, and it's ridiculous. It's wrong, and you know, and it's not a generalized. Oh, we have to like train the guys. No, it's the university uh, has to uh, 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 either basically prevent these kinds of like, you know, Oberlin fraternities were banned. You know, you just couldn't have them. Um, yeah, we and, didn't have it. We didn't have Greek life at, at USF either. Yeah. So it was like, well, um, like, yeah, the way that my school was set up, it was like, no, this is the real world. They would hammer that into us all the time. Like, yeah. like, like you are USC, you are going to school here. But but dorm life is very different. This is like you're in the middle of a city. Like they would always constantly talk to us about like you need to go out into San Francisco and like live in the real world while you're in college. Like they would hammer that into us. Like yeah. that was the culture at, at, at USF is like we are in the middle of a city and right. we are and you have to take the bus with other people who live in this city. And like you need to be a, like a member of society. Like, you know, and that was a really big part of the culture. And I think that a lot of colleges, you know, it's a college town and it feels very much like not the real world. And then they're not preparing you for the real world. And it's like, that's a problem. It's a huge problem. I, I agree a hundred percent. And I, I think he missed that. I think that that's was, was a very, a, a perfect example of all the things 
he was talking about, excuse me, but he, but he missed it because he, per, he, he, he didn't see the fact, the connection of this, the, the place, you know, what, what, what's that third thing? Coupling. Coupling. That this is absolutely about coupling in that, in that the university is creating this, this, you know, kind of thing. And, and, you know, he, he, he alluded it to a little bit with the Jerry Sandusky thing, you know, where the, he, he, he says, well, you know, these, the, the administration, you know, they had to default to truth because it's, you know, they wanted to, you know, support their employees and everything. But, but I think if you throw coupling in, you see that there's even a, you know, a false sense of who we are once we're in a university, you know? Yeah. Aren't there numbers? Aren't there numbers on like, like, you know, uh, on assault uh, in, in campuses versus, you know, real life and like, uh, and, and like, uh, you know, the, the way that people act is, 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 you know, tied to the fact that they're, you know, part of a school environment. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, yeah, I'm guessing that, you know, the fact that, that they're in the school environment does not there's an illusion created in in the community there that says yeah. oh we can just do things and we're gonna like you know you know this is our like circle the wagons and we're gonna like you know everything's cool here and it creates this you know uh a, a cover-up type of thing and, yeah. and it also creates this false sense of security you know, yeah. it's like, we're all good. You know, we're all good guys. And, yeah. you know, we couldn't be, you couldn't, you know, and I think that's a cultural thing that yeah. is very much tied to it. And, you know, I, I, I don't think it was a stretch for Malcolm to have, have tied that in. Um, yeah. But maybe, you know, he had this theme that he had to do. So, you know, but, but anyway, it was, I, I thought it, it was very provocative. You and I, I think agreed that like all the nerdy observations, um, are really powerful. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the, in the final part of the review is, you know, he, he criticizes that, 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 uh, that the conclusion about the, about the, um, um, what is the word again? I keep mixing it up. The coupling? C word. Coupling. That the coupling doesn't tell us much about Platt. So he spends a lot of time criticizing him over that. And then he says, he Summar- summarizing the lessons to be learned from the diverse tales in his book, Gladwell's main conclusions are that it would be disastrous if we stop trusting people, that we should accept the limits yeah. of our ability to decipher strangers, and that it behooves us to be thoughtful, humble, and mindful of context when trying to understand people's actions. Readers will have expected rather more of a denouement. Throughout the book, Gladwell works to build an air of suspense, zigzagging between cases and portentously promising lush vistas of insight just over the next hill, ending a chapter with, but we are getting ahead of ourselves. Which, by the way, when he reads it, that's so great, you know. I yeah. love when he says that. In the, that's like a podcast thing. Yeah. There is there is much use of italics for emphasis to remind us that what we are reading <laughs> is interesting and important. And the guy italicizes those two. <laughs> it, it would, of course, be too much to ask for effective tips on how to spot the next Madoff, but a little more substance would have been nice. I mean, there's an enormous amount of substance, and yeah. you are are upset that the the conclusion, which I do agree was thin. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, you didn't need the conclusion. I mean, you know, there it is. It's all laid out for you. Yeah. Draw your own fucking conclusions. You moron. You know, you, you, you gotta be spoon fed that, you know, but it's a book, not, you know, not a, Sorry? I don't know. I, yeah, it's, I, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be, you know, thought provoking, not tell you what to do. 
that seems to be. Yeah. But I also feel like I also feel like you know, you know, living in the world that I I've been thinking a lot about like, you know, how I think about you know people's actions and how they're tied to you know a whole slew of things that I have no information on, and it's like it's very interesting, and I think it like it provides a lot more empathy. You know, yeah, I, potentially. I, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that like when I'm getting into conflict with people, you know, I, I think that like having having empathy for how people are experiencing the world differently than I am is like is enormously valuable. And like, I don't know, that's what I took from it, at least. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so there you go. Yeah, it's good. Um, can I ask you a question? Mm hmm. Um, so remember last time we were talking about how, um, how like, uh, you know, I'm having a hard time with interviewing because I'm like this whole, like I come from a nonprofit world and how, you know, someone's going to have to take a risk on me and all that stuff. Right. Um, well, so I have a, I had a phone interview with, uh, a company last week mm-hmm. and, um, it went well. She's just a recruiter. And at the end of the call, I always like to just say, like, hey, I know this has been a short chat, but, like, do you have any reservations for me about the role? And she said, you know, the only – she's like, not that I can think of, but the only reservation that I would think that, like, the people who would be, you know, making the decisions would have are that, you know, you come from the nonprofit world and you don't have experience in the tech industry. Mm -hmm. And so I I talked to my therapist about it, and I was like, I want to, like, bring that into the room – but, you know, I don't really know how. And she said, well, and I, my, my initial thought was to bring it into the room in the beginning. Um, and she was like, she was saying, like, you know, what is it that you want to do? And I said, I want to prove that I, you know, that this isn't an issue. And she was like, well, I don't think that you need to prove this is an issue. I think that you need to um, just be able to explain as much information about yourself that's pertinent, like, and in a clear way. So if you feel at the end of the interview that, you know, that you weren't able to bring this thing into the room, I think that you could say at the end, like, you know, have you, like, you could sort of say something like, have you asked me all the questions that you think are going to glean the most information about my skills and my ability? Um, and if not, like, I would like to say something about it. And then at the end, say something about how, you know, like, you know, how, how um, my experience, you know, is is transferable and that my, you know, and that like not being from the tech industry, you know, might be an asset and like, and, and maybe there's something, maybe there's something about um, my, my role that you, that you're unaware of that actually would be really helpful and maybe is different from what you think. Hello? Can we try? Yeah, yeah, try it again. The last 30 what, seconds what, I didn't hear. Oh, I, I was just saying that, like, you know, I could bring up at the end that, like, well, that, like, sorry? Let me interrupt for a second. So, so you've, you're concerned and you've noticed, I think, that there's a, a, a bias or a concern about the, transition from nonprofit to profit right yeah and I, my thought is that they don't actually know the things that I'm doing that could potentially be helpful information that might might make them think differently about about my my experience but specifically related to profit or nonprofit or specifically related to tech companies 
Um, I think a little bit of both. I think that like they might think that nonprofits are non-techie and like a little bit outdated and like, I'm not exactly sure. I, I'm going to talk to my friends a little bit who work in the tech industry, but I think that like, if they knew like what I do on a daily basis, like it's very tech oriented and like, it's very like startup culture and it's very like, you know, I'm not exactly sure what the reservations are, but like, you know, like, are there, are they, is it like tools that they use on a daily basis that they want me to be comfortable with? Is it like a culture that they use? Is it a process of, of, of like how they get things done that they okay. want me to be comfortable with? Okay. So can I, make, let me make a different kind of suggestion than your therapist. Okay. Okay. Because I'm, I've been on the other side. I've interviewed lots of people. Okay. I don't think she has and hired people. So I can tell you what impresses me. Okay. Okay. If, if I meet someone who's applying for the job and that person knows something, if, and the more, the better about my business and about the position or about potentially uh -huh. the position, I'm very impressed. Uh-huh. Okay. So if you take the time to research a little bit about the job or dig a little bit about the job uh -huh. and, and the business they're in. Um, and you go off the, right off the bat and you don't talk so much about, well, you talk about yourself, but indirectly. So you yeah. say, okay, I, I perceive that these are the kinds of things you're looking for. These are the challenges that you have. This is the opportunities. And let me, let me, um, you know, correct me if you think I'm, I'm, you know, not seeing that right. And right. then I go, they might get into that and talk about the business, okay? Which right. is great. Then you, you, you know, you go, you know, like you show insight in, okay, you're trying to capture more users or you're trying to like flip this into get some profit or you're trying to convert, you know, KPIs or, you know, whatever buzzwords you want to throw in to mm -hmm. show that you're talking at their level about their, their business, Right. Okay. So for example, if you were interviewing, you know, for, for marketing in a restaurant, you know, um, you know, I've looked at your restaurant, blah, 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 your, your website and everything looks to me like you're, you know, you're still at the stage where you're trying to create an image for yourself and you're shooting for a certain hip audience and, you know, you're looking for this and that. And, you know, what do you, what do you, you're trying to like, um, be a little upscale, but not, you know, like YOLO. Okay. So we're trying to be, you know, like not fast food, but not fancy food, but hip and fun. And like, you know, millennial, it's a buzzword for, you know, the people who are like, you know, trying to do their own thing and you're trying to communicate that image and your challenges, you know, how do you, how do you do that cost effectively? How do you, how do you stand out and be different um, and not just give away discounts and, you know, yeah. coupons and things. My, yeah. if, if I interviewed a marketing company that actually said that to me at the beginning, I'd be like, wow, they're actually yeah. not idiots. Yeah. Um, even if they don't have the answer of what to do, but at least they know my problem. Yeah. Okay? So I, I have an idea of what their problem is, but I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's one or the other, if it's both. Yeah. But that's so, how you, that's to me what you do to jump in. You know, you right. say, these are my perceptions. I'm not sure whether it's this, this or this, but I'm seeing this and you engage them on their business. Okay. Like right away. If, yes. If you seem to be interested and knowledgeable about their fucking business. Yeah. You are 80% of the way there. Okay? okay. It's not about you because they're not, they're not looking for you. They're looking to solve a problem. Right. right? And, they, and, and so if you've got somebody who is like plugged into the problems they have, 
that's like, oh my God, what a relief. Right. You know, I don't have to like guess whether they're fucking, you know, on the right. ball or not. If right. you describe things you have done, then you're putting the job of translating that to their situation. You're giving them that job, right. which they may or may not be good at. They may right. not be able to go, oh, if you've done this, then that will translate well here. Right. Okay. That's helpful. Okay. So you have to show that you understand their business, that you, you know, are interested in the business, engage them on those issues. And then right. you can say, okay, let me tell you how the things I have done in the past apply. Right. And where I, and you can also go, and here's where I, I would need to be, get trained. This is where right. I see holes in what my abilities are related to that. Right. You, you never then get into the discussion of the nonprofit shit. Because okay. you're, you're already plugged into their thing. If, right. if it does come up that you worked in nonprofit, say, look, I spent my whole life, my dad and my whole, my family were entrepreneurs. They had a family owned, very successful music publishing business. I was surrounded by it. My dad was always brainstorming with me. I grew up with the culture, um, you know. Uh, I know, I, you know, I didn't grow up with a, you know, my dad wasn't a school teacher and my mother was a librarian, you know, and we were living yeah. in some kind of bubble. No, uh, we, we were entrepreneurs and I, I, I grew up with that. I, I ate that for breakfast. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's all you need to say. Yeah. Okay? Because then they understand that you get the culture and you've been around right. that and you know, the hustle and, you know, right. and, you can you can then you know connect the dots for them if if necessary later on to say you know if they say well you know do you know how to do this you go yes I know how to do that or I know you know yeah. but I think if you can find out about their business and have your ideas about what you think the job is or what you think the challenges are you will completely address that's what it. I tell you something, that's what a boss wants to hear or anybody who's interviewing someone wants to hear, you know, okay. and, you know, obviously if you're interviewing at AT&T and you're being interviewed uh -huh. by the assistant of human relations who has uh -huh. 6,000 positions to fill uh -huh. and, and they have a form and they're just looking for these skills and these skills. That's not the same thing. It's a totally different Well, I already interview. talked to the recruiter. So now I'm talking to the person who I would be working under. Right. That's so. So that's the point is you're talking can to a person I, who has problems and wants to hear someone who understands their fucking problems. Can I um, can I can I pitch you what I think their problems are really quickly? Sure. They're a health tech company and they they're really cool. Actually, they their main business is companies, employers, and they they sell to employers mm -hmm. and they're selling a 16 week uh, online course that helps the employees with uh, preventative medicine. So basically it's a, it's a benefit that is offered to employees uh, through like the employer, like through their healthcare benefits. Got it. And, um, and so they have, they have four programs right now, pre-diabetes, uh, type two diabetes, hypertension, and um, high cholesterol. Awesome. And, and basically the idea is that they sell their programs to the employer and mm -hmm. then the employer through them sort mm -hmm. of uh, enrolls the uh, the employees into these programs based off of an assessment test what what their what their needs are right um, and they also so their top two clients are healthcare providers themselves and employers right. and 
I think that the, the, there are two problems that, that I would be solving are messaging to their, their B2B and then messaging to the uh, employees once they've sort of onboarded the employer. Hello? Oh my God, this is terrible. I can't hear you, stop talking. Okay, now it's, it's all fixed. I can't, I can't hear you. You can't hear me now? Hello? I can hear you, I can hear you now. It's outside of this fucking... Uh, okay, let's close. Yeah, let's close and call on another thing. I'm going to use WhatsApp or we'll try FaceTime. Let me try FaceTime. Bye. Bye.